following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So uh, to keep theme with this morning, I want to ask a question. Um, Is Jesus dedicated to you? I mean, has he shown his dedication, his commitment to your rescue? Has he, I mean, has he clearly made that, that he has, he's fully committed to, and you know, we're told in Romans 5, like, that it just gets better and better and better and better, right? Because like, I mean, we, we're justified with God. Through, through Christ's sacrifice. We have peace with God through Christ's sacrifice. We have access to all the grace in its various forms because of Christ. But then we get three times he says it's more, it's more because now, because our king is alive and he's seated and he's, he's petitioning on our behalf. He's our mediator and our advocate, right? That, that now that we're his, his bride, his, the father's sons and daughters, like don't we think that even more? Um, now that we are no longer enemies and rebellious and, and, and while we were still sinners, as I mentioned earlier, like that, that he still loved us enough to, to rescue us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, that was the epitome of his, of his atoning work. And, uh, and so I, I, want you to, I want you to, you know, I think the backdrop of what we're going to look at this morning is this. Is Jesus dedicated to you? Is he committed to your salvation, your rescue? Is he committed to your sanctification, your, your purification, your glorification? Like, is, is he going to finish what he started? Is he a man of his word? Right? Like, and, and I, you know, I, my expectation to the answers of those questions from you guys is, yes, absolutely. You know, like, that's the kind of invigorated, because we know, we know. He's, he's declared, he is confirmed, he is revealed, he has demonstrated full declaration commitment to our rescue and so what we're looking at this morning and i gotta tell you in 33 years of getting to the privilege of teaching and preaching i have never preached this text ever Uh, i I don't know that i've ever taught this text so you know much like what happens often at the beginning of uh of the sermon preparation is it's like you know it always explodes it always explodes and it creates great enthusiasm and excitement on my part because I just can't wait to impart that to you. Um, but this, this is very sobering. Um, and there's still excitement because of the implications and the promises that we find in the text. Um, but I, I got to tell you that it, you know, throughout the, the preparation, there was a moment where I was like, May, maybe we lay this aside for a, a few weeks and let this let the understanding of this come because I feel so inadequate here. But, you know, I, I want to reinforce this, these two principles, okay, for your personal study of God's word. One, you don't need commentators, footnotes, cross. Those things can be beneficial for confirmation. You have the Holy Spirit, right? He says, I will lead you into all truth and teach you everything, remind you of everything that I've taught you. Like, like we have the author inside, And then we're told in in 1 Corinthians 2 that we have the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Like we're equipped for the understanding. And you notice that throughout Jesus' ministry, the disciples would come to him, as John said last week, thank God, and come to them and say, listen, what? (laughs) Like you just shared this this parable and what? (laughs) And, And he would do what? He would break it down for them because they asked. So let me, can I, can I ask you, can I challenge you? Ask, yeah, do you, have you ever come to a place in the scriptures where you're like, what? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'm just making sure it's just not me, right? So like, like if you ever, like, ask the Holy Spirit. Why are we so, like, we're, we lean on our own understanding, right? Or we, we're so quick to ask man for the things that only God can impart, right? Like, and, and you know what? He, he, he's pleased when we ask him for the understanding of his inspired word. You know, who, who inspired this word? Who wrote it? Who, who wants to write it on your heart? And that comes through meditation and, and dependency. And so, like, I'm just so thankful that every time I ask him, and it might not come in the timeline that I want it, but it always comes. Because often it's wake you up at three in the morning and here we go, you know. Um, and that's okay too, because th- that's exciting and there's rest in him. But like, that's, that is, 
That is so, so important. Principle number two, as you study God's word, context, I, I used to have a, a guy, a seminary professor that just said this, over, like, context is king. I will say context is so critical. Please don't forget that. In fact, the, in, the inductive study method that has been modified to, to be an acronym called comma instead of observation, interpretation, application, it's comma now because to include context, observation, interpretation, application. Because it's so critical that we don't take things out of context. We can make, you know, this is a letter by, by Paul written to one Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, you know, with a heart. That, like, now guys, let me, let me challenge your, your missional, like, vigor for just a moment. Um, your, your, your missional resolve. He did, Luke did all of this for one person to know Christ. He wrote, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit right, to, 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 to take an orderly account of Christ's life. And he says, many have taken on this objective. But I, too, take on this objective with the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, he had no idea, <laughs> 2023, we'd be teaching the very words that the Lord had given him right here. <laughs> wow. But, but because his heart and his objective was he wrote the book of Acts, uh, Luke and the book of Acts, which is almost Luke 2. Right, like, and and all of that done just so that one most excellent Theophilus might know the truth about Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't challenge the lengths that we're willing to go to see that someone would know, have the testimony of God's faithfulness to His promises by sending His Son to ransom and rescue us, wow, so challenging. But as we look at this text. Um, if we, if we just jump in, which often we do, right? If we, and by the way, this is probably going to be a two-parter, but you, don't, you won't get slighted because both of them are going to be great. Um, but, like, um, but I want to tell you, like, um, like, we tend to jump into passages, right? I mean, because, I mean, understandably, there's a lot there, right? I mean, there's 33,102 verses. I mean, there's a lot. Right. But but like we jump into these moments and and sometimes, you know, like with anything else in life, a book, a letter, whatever, you know, we can we can make false interpretation, application. Right. Or misunderstandings can flow out of not understanding, you know, what's going on here in the context. And, and I don't know anybody here, a first century Jew. Anybody? Anybody? No, right? Like, so we've got a lot to, to glean and learn from. We've got a lot to know. And that requires us to be seekers, right? Those that, that really kind of dive in for, for the deeper understanding and knowing we're going to have the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. And, but when we do, as we'll see in this, this, this parable, like there is so much for us. There's so much to glean. And, and when, if we're only listening with 23, with 21st century ears, um, then, then my goodness, and a U.S. culture that is so different, right, then, then we're, we're at a loss about things that we don't have to be at a loss for if we're willing to be disciples. You know what a disciple is? You know what it means? A learner, a student, right? One, one that does what Mary did so beautifully, that sits at the feet of Jesus. And so let me ask you this morning, because this sidebar, like, How's, how are you doing at sitting at his feet? Are you spending time in his word? Not, not, not to increase knowledge, but to, to increase capacity for this beautiful relationship, to, to, to know how much you're loved and to really grow in a love and knowledge of him, which will, will expand your, 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 your passion Sheba and I uh, worship during our, prep, our time in the morning on Sundays as we get ready. And one of the songs this morning was like, Lord, I am passionate for you. Like, make my passion you. Like, we can get so passionate about so many things and they can cause such exuberance and, and all kinds of, of outward expression. But like, Jesus truly deserves our, our full attention and our total ambition when it comes to the passion of our lives. Okay, we've got to get to the text. Here we go. All right, so turn with me, Luke chapter 19. Um, we pick up in the text, as you know, we're just working through the gospel of Luke. 
we are staying in context. So as I reference these, these moments that we're going to find ourselves in the context here, you will have a reference for that because of our time together in the past. And then I'm going to give you some pieces that we're coming to so that you understand right where we're at in the life and ministry of Jesus. Okay? Uh, but before that, let's read the passage. Luke chapter 19, 11 to 27. And as they heard these things, so of course I hope that you're right away going, who's they? And what are these things? That's, that's how we should be as, 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 as we read the scriptures, right? You know, and we'll, we'll discover those things. He proceeded to tell a parable. Who's the he? Good. Because he was near Jerusalem. Does, does all that matter? Critical. And if ever you come across something, you're like, what, 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 what? What's, be a student, Dig in. Um, and because they supported, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, that, that was their supposition, right? That was their, 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 their idea, their, their hope, really, their misconception, if I'm honest, based on prophetic uh, promises, right? Uh, verse 12. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then he returned Calling 10 of his servants prior to his departure, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money, money, to be called to him and he that he might know what they had gained by doing business the first came to him and said lord your mina has made 10 your mina by the way has made 10 minas more and he said to him well done good servant and i love that it's an ex- it's emphatic well done good servant there's excitement here right because you have been faithful in a, very li- in, in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And then the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he, and he said to him, and you, are, and you are to be over five cities. And then another, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, single which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money, my money, my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who, were, who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. What? They said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But to the one who has, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, previously t- spoken of as citizens, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Father, please... Add to our understanding the truth of your word. Help us to to know so that we might apply. Give us the courage and the faith to do it. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray that the, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that it would be pleasing in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dive in. So I, wanna, I, I mentioned there's context here, and I just want to remind us of a few things. So as we look back, um, so some of the context here, um, that really kind of lends to why he's saying these things and why he's saying them here and now. Um, let's remember the context. So um, the rich young ruler, okay? So if we go back a little bit here, 
He has had an encounter with a young man that he loved, Mark says. And he, is invite, he asked him, what must I do <laughs> to inherit eternal life? And he kind of helps him to understand that the law is not going to get you there. He says, you know, sell everything that you have and come follow me. Uh, and, uh, and what does he do? He walks away sad, right? And Jesus said it, it is hard. No, it's impossible. What's impossible for man is possible with God. But there's, there's a young man that chooses his wealth and following his path. Because what, what's happening here with him and, and blind Bartimaeus, which we just got to a few weeks ago, and then, you know, just recently, two weeks ago, we looked at, um, we looked at uh, Zacchaeus, is that Jesus intentionally, he says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost, right? And what happens is Jesus intersects his life with all of these lives, right? Uh, the rich young ruler came and fell, fell at his feet, we're told in Matthew, right? They, they've, they, there's this intersection with the narrow path himself. And in the case of the rich young ruler, when he found out the cost, he stayed on his own path. And it was a sad path for him, saddened the Lord, right? And instead of laying down the very things that were hindering his ability to follow Jesus, and, f- and, and do what he was asked, uniquely asked, and follow Christ, which he was invited to do, by the way. Invited. And he, he declines. And he says, no, I'm rich, I'm young, and I have authority. And I'm not giving that up. And uh, so then we, we come upon Bartimaeus. Right, Because Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Now, it's important that we get timeline here. Like, where is this in the context of Jesus' life and ministry? So here's, here's Jesus now coming into what city? Jericho, right? He's coming into Jericho, but he's making his way to Jerusalem. And as he makes his way into Jericho, uh, there, there's a guy on the, on the side, and he's obscure to their culture. He, they think he's a sinful man because of his, he's lost his sight. And, he, and, and we find out his name is, he's the son of Timaeus, so he's Bar Timaeus. And so like we find out all about him and, and he, will, he is undeterred. He is not willing to let the crowd silence him. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And when they tell him to be quiet, he, <laughs> he belts it out even more because he knows that this is his hope and his rescue. And, and he joins Jesus in the journey. And he experiences the healing that he's asking for, right? And then he, Jesus enters into the city, right? And, and, and he's marching through the city. And, uh, and now you can imagine, because what it says at the end of that experience is that the crowd is, first of all, Bartimaeus does what? What's the exact words? He glorifies God. We talked about what would that look like? And that should be what we look like, right? And then, and then we see that the crowd begins to worship God, the Father, just celebrating God, the Father. And so you can imagine the crowd is growing. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of curiosity. Um, you know, they've just seen a miracle with someone that is their contemporary, you know, they're, they're, they're someone they know. And, and, uh, and so now the crowd's growing. And so it gets so, it gets so large and that Zacchaeus, who is a wee little man, um, you know, has to, has to run along and climb up in a sycamore tree to have any vantage point to see who, not what, but who Jesus is. And, uh, and the good news is he finds out who Jesus is. And Jesus chooses him. Like, again, Jesus intersects with his life. And it's interesting that he chooses the one that is absolutely obscure to his culture, hated even. And they're upset that Jesus has chosen him. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house. And in, that, in the midst of that interaction, much like the thief on the cross, because of his interaction with Jesus and, and just the love that's demonstrated by him choosing him, right? You know, in the midst of all the obscurity, he, 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 and he calls him by name, right? And, and he's the chief tax, he's, he's the chief sinner, right? <laughs> like, and Jesus calls him by name. And, and he says, I'm coming to your house today. I'm, I'm coming to you. What Jesus was really saying is, I'm coming to your heart and life today. Right? Like, I, that's my objective. Right? And, and I want you to know me. So in order for you to know me, you, you know, I want to be close. And that's, isn't that the mission of Jesus? To, you know, like, he came close so we could be close. 
right? And so like, that's what he did. And, and then we hear these glorious words, right? Now, I, I, I want to say that there's something that I, I kind of missed and we can't miss, right? There's a moment that happens between, um, between these moments, between the rich young ruler and Bartimaeus. There's this moment where Jesus looks at the disciples and tells them something. And this is what he tells them. It's in the previous chapter, verses 31 to 34. He says, and taking the 12 aside, so to speak, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man, and by this time, they know exactly who the Son of Man is, (laughs) by the prophets, and he says, everything will be accomplished. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? Verse 32, for he will, he says this, for he will be delivered, talking about the Son of Man, talking about himself, over to the Gentiles, crucifixion, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit on. I mean, like details here, right? And it's all future, right, at this point. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, this is the third time that, they, that Jesus has said this to the, to the boys in this, this journey. Now, how do they receive that? Oh, he, he's telling some like thing we don't get again. You know, like I, they, don't have a, they, don't, they don't understand. We're actually told in verse 34, it says, but they, they, they understood none of these things. None of them. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said, it goes on to say. And then, so, but, but he's told them how this is going. This is, this is his divine designed destiny, right? He has clearly laid that out for them. And yet this is foreign to them. This is, this is veiled to them. And part of it is they don't want to hear this. Because this is all supposed to end with James and John sitting at the right and left, the kingdom coming, you know, the, the, the Rome falling to, to Israel's promised king and uh, some military messiah showing up and having his way with the, with the Roman Empire miraculously. And Jesus wants to correct all of their false expectations. But then the blind, blind Bartimaeus, then Zacchaeus' house. And I want to remind you of what Zacchaeus stands up and says. Because you, this makes, what we're reading today makes absolutely no sense unless we understand what transpired for Zacchaeus. Now, what I'm going to tell you Jesus says to him is salvation has come to, you, to this house today. Right? And what he means by that is you have, you have faith in me. Because how does salvation come to anybody? We are saved by faith through grace. Like we're justified by faith, right? And so like he, he, he has put his faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, like, and, and how beautiful is this? He tells him that blessed is this house because now you also are a spiritual son of Abraham. But what we have to see here is what Zacchaeus does and says on the other side of a new heart and a transformed life. Because it's not what he does that saves him. It is the evidence of the fact that he's been saved. And what he, what he says, and I'll read it for us, but what he says is this. I'll give half of every... Now look, with the rich young ruler, he had to kind of ask that of him. Let's not miss that. Right? Because that's what was was keeping him from following Jesus. That's what was, that was his God. That was his security. That was his trust, right? He, he found all of his identity in rich young ruler. And to lay that down was not something he was willing to do, but that was what was required of him because it was, it was possessing him. And so let's keep in mind, this isn't being asked of Zacchaeus. This is a result of his salvation, the change of heart. And now this is his proclamation. And really it's evidence of how transformed this, this chief, chief tax collector is in this moment. And listen to what he says. And Zacchaeus stood and said to, said to the Lord, to the Lord, behold, Lord, Lord, he calls him. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, 
I restore it fourfold. By the way, when you look at Levitical law on these things and you know what's required, he doubled and then 10 times the other part of it. And it wasn't like that's what he was trying to do. That's just, that's just the, the, the that, that, don't you believe that when we're given a new heart and the Holy Spirit, like that generosity is a part of our nature now? That, that, that we, we become like our Heavenly Father who's lavish and generous, right? That, that, that's, and that's what he wants. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Because ge- does generosity and lavishness when it comes to love and time and, and sharing our gifts and resources, does that, does that communicate anything? I think it communicates love, right? And he says, if, I, if I've defrauded anyone, or of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, today, like it sounds like thief on the cross, which is coming up, cross, which is coming up, but today salvation has come to this house, this heart, this, this life. And what an assurance for, for Zacchaeus, especially as one that has been so much of an outcast to his own people, since he is also a spiritual son of Abraham. Because Paul helps us understand that, that it's not our lineage you know, because what, what did Jesus hear all the time? What do you mean? Like, we're sons of Abraham. We're saved. Like, you know, that, he's, that's my daddy. I'm good, right? Like, that's my, my lineage, my heritage. That's my bloodline. You know, and Jesus said, that's not how it works. I mean, he can raise up sins, rocks to be sons, right? You know, he says, in fact, this is what John the Baptist says. He says, let me tell you, the axe is already at the root. Talk about the root of Jesse. Like, I mean, like, look, if you don't share Abraham's faith, you don't share Abraham's promise. And, and what, J, what, what, what Jesus is telling this, can you imagine how, I know we're back on a previous story, but like, can you imagine how much good news this was to Zacchaeus? Guys, do you realize that the gospel is good news? It's the best news the world's ever heard, ever. And, and I hope that, that you are declaring it, treating it, valuing it, realizing that, that we're told to share this. This is our witness, that Jesus died and was buried and he rose again and he satisfied our sin debt and he rescued us because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that his desires that none should perish, but that everyone might experience everlasting life. And, and he is being patient in his, his return because his desires that none should perish. God's not naive to the fact that many will walk that wide road that leads to destruction. And and Zacchaeus, can you imagine how grateful he was for the change of heart that is declared in this moment? And so isn't it absolutely makes sense now that Jesus like shares this parable? He's talking about, he's talking about like, I mean, the next thing we need to understand in the context is, is this, that what we're about to embark on is the triumphant entry of Jesus. The, if you look in your Bibles, in the Gospel of Luke, the very next thing, the event, at least the chronology that Luke is given, is the triumphant entry of Jesus. So doesn't that help you to have a time stamp as the church? So let me ask you a question. Let's see how you're doing. Um, what day of the week did the triumphal entry actually happen? Thank you. Sunday, right? That Thursday night, he ate, he ate a, the last meal with his disciples. The following Friday at three o'clock, he says, into your hands I commit my spirit and it is finished. So that's where we're at in the timestamp of Jesus' life and ministry. He is on the precipice. Now we don't, it's a, it's a short timeline, but the next major moment in, in Luke's account is Jesus marches or rides in on a donkey. Coats and palm branches are thrown at his feet, going, you're our king, Hosanna in the highest. God saves, praise the Lord. Like, right? And, and that's, that's Jesus in this parable clarifies, that's, that's not how it's going down. And yes, you're right, I am the king that's coming. But it's not in the timeline that you perceive, and it's not the way that you perceive are we da- is it dangerous to put Jesus and God in a box and kind of determine timelines based on what our preferences are and, and establish expectations? 
Do you think that it was, now keep in mind, if, if coming up is Passover, I just gave it away. Like if, if coming up is this moment, right, then Passover is, is, is coming like this. Now what happens at Passover? They remember what? Their deliverance from slavery in Egypt, right? So what does that cultivate by, by design with God? It cultivates a hunger for what? Deliverance from Roman oppression, Right, so of course there's this hunger for, oh, and, and it makes sense that, that if he's going to come at any time, he's coming now, right? And we, we, we boy, we sure need him now. Like, and, uh, and, and, but they had no idea that, that this nobleman, as he calls himself here, that has, that's going to be taken, he's going to go to a far off place. And he's going to be given a kingdom that he would pour out at Pentecost. Right? And then later will bring to fruition to its full expression when he returns. But it's, it's not happening next week, is what he's saying. But in the meanwhile, I'm going to give you some stuff. I'm going to equip you to do kingdom work. To be busy for, you use the word business, but like the understanding there is to be busy for, for, for my purpose and for the increase of, for my benefit. And I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you resources that are going to actually, like, all you've got to do is steward them. They, they will actually do the work. Because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Word of God. That's why the mina actually makes its own minas. But, but they still were considered good and faithful servants because they stewarded it. Do you think the Word of God is powerful? Right? So what do we do with God's Word? We treasure it as Psalms 119 says. But then we, we live it because we're told that if we obey it, it's the way we tell God we love him and that he's truly Lord of our life. And if we don't, we, Jesus says that's, that's a lie. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? It's, it's, it's a lie. And so, so like this is, this is what is happening in this context is that, you know, when we understand everything that's transpired in the last days and hours and then we see what's coming, we totally understand that Jesus is getting real now. No, he's always real, but you know what I mean? Like he's, he's getting raw. He's getting, I mean, the things that he says to the disciples that last night after the, between his arrest and the last supper, man, he is, he's, he's leaving it all on the line. He's giving them, he's giving it all to them. And right now he's just being absolutely critically truthful with them about these things that are about to un- unpack. And did you see in the parable that Jesus says that the citizens, keep in mind to understand that, we must understand he's talking about the citizens of the nation of Israel are going to say, we don't want this, they're going to send a delegation. We don't want this man to be our king. Man, it's um, like, you know what, in, in going through this, there's so many principles, and I'm going to unpack some of those, but there's so many principles that teach us about the nature of, Jesus, of God. Like he knows our future. He, knows, he knew his future to the, to the intimacy of spit on, flogged. I mean, like he knew the chronology of that. He knew what was coming. You know, okay, guys, get up. Uh, you know, my, my captor or whatever is coming. Like he, he, he understood all of those things. He told Peter exactly what he would do before he did it. And in this parable, he tells, he says exactly what people are going to do before they do it. Because if you remember, come that Thursday, excuse me, Friday morning early in, in Pilate's courtyard, what did, they, what, did, what did the citizens say? We have no king but Caesar. That's a lie. None of them wanted Caesar to be their king. Right? But what they were doing was they were rejecting Jesus' reign. He's not our king. In fact, when Pilate, like think about the providence in this, Pilate not, puts it up on the cross, king of the Jews, right? That's the truth, right? And he didn't just put it in one language, he put it in all three, Latin, Aramaic, and, and, and Greek, and whatever else. I mean, he put it in all of them, right? Just so that they would, they would know, that everyone would know. And, and he says, what is done is done. But, but let's remember, that's what they said. They had a delegation. Who were the delegations? The Pharisees. They were kind of bringing the whole group to a frenzy and saying, he's not our king. And what was their king doing for them? What was he doing? He was dying for them. He 
was coming to rescue them. He was coming to show them the Father, to bring them home, to make them his bride. Like, wow! And, and all along, they're, they're, they're rejecting him, and he knew it. Here's the crazy thing. He knew all of this, and he came anyway. While we were yet sinners, right? Like he came anyway. And he knew he would face all of that. He knew the pain, the agony, and, and honestly, like, but, but what's crazy is, Pilate, in, in all of his hope to get Jesus off the hook, his, his wife says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. I've had dreams, right? He tries to wash his hands to, to ease his conscience, like all of this. But in the middle of all of this, one of his plots to get Jesus off the hook is he brings the most notorious sinner. And, and the Jews know it. I mean, this guy's an insurrectionist. He's, a, he's mafia. Like, he's, he's killing Romans. Like, um, he's, and, and his name is what? Barabbas. I just want to remind you what that name means. Just like Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus, Bar means son of, right? When we say, when we say Bar Mitzvah, that's son of the covenant. Okay, so Barabbas, what is Abba? What, what does that mean? It's an intimate statement. It means, it means daddy, right? His name means son of the father. <laughs> That's the name of the guy that gets literally released, given his freedom, who was condemned to death, and Jesus is, takes his place. You don't think that that's powerful? And, and, and yet God's ordaining all, like the naming of things, like all that's ordained and yet man has a hand at it. That's the sovereignty of God. Wow, right? And, and it's a picture for us that he represents all humanity, right? Like, like the, the son of the father, like, and, and he's released to that, that. Now his name actually possibly could be his true identity because he's been released because of Christ's sacrifice. And, and in the midst of that, this, I mean, can you imagine what Jesus was going through on the cross, knowing what he was doing to its, like, we don't even fully understand it yet. But what, all that he was doing, and yet at the midst of all of that, the very ones that were being rescued by him were killing him, including the Gentiles. That a centurion would say, surely this man was the son of God. Surely this man was innocent the one responsible for his death. It's just amazing. But in the midst of Pilate's courtyard, these people, to get back to our text, these people were saying, he's not our king. There's a delegation. And Jesus is stating this as he always does prophetically. You know, as we're told, there'll be a prophet that comes that's better, better, than, Mo- better than Moses, greater than Moses. <laughs> you know, and, he, and, and Jesus, Jesus didn't pull any punches. He said, he's here. Ha-da-da! Right? Like, like, like he over and over and over again pointed to pro- prophetic scripture and said, I'm he. You know, th- th- this pro- he said to Nazareth, this, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing today. The son, of, I'm, I'm here. Right? And they wanted to kill him then. It's, you know, it's hard for a hard heart to receive the truth. And they were so blind by his by his, by his, fla- by his, by, by being Emmanuel, like, and his humility kind of tripped them up. He was the stone the builders rejected. They tripped over him, right? Because they couldn't see that God could be humble and that he would be humble to the point where he would give his life and that he was not coming to set up his kingdom. He was coming to establish it and then he was going to receive it from the Father and then there's a day coming where he's coming back to establish to, to fully realize that kingdom. And what he's going to do is, as John preached on, on last week, he's going, to pull, he's going to pull all the weeds out of the kingdom, all the sons of the devil. And then he's going to, he's going to bring together all the sons of the kingdom and he's going to bring them into his barns. And we see this in this sober moment at the, in verse 27, right? I told you this can be in two parts. Okay, so... Let me unpack some things here as we kind of look at this again. So as they heard these things, verse 11, 
Okay, you gotta, that, that means present context, maybe even in Zacchaeus' house. You know, Zacchaeus, the things they had heard was Zacchaeus' proclamation of what he's going to do on the other side. And you've got to believe for those people, they're going either, yeah, right, or wow. I mean, that's, that's a change. You know, man's not possibly going to believe that you've changed until they see the evidence of the change that God has made in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But, um, but it says, they, he proceeded to tell a parable. Here, don't miss this. Because, this is why, he was near Jerusalem. And he doesn't just mean proximity to a place. He's talking about his divine, designed destiny. That's what he's talking about. And because they, who's they, this is the crowd now. This is the, the Jewish nation that supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So what is he doing? He's correcting their expectation. He's actually correcting their interpretation of scripture, of the prophets. Right? Isn't it funny how we can look back at the prophets now in the Old Testament and see how they, it just clearly points to Jesus? And could, couldn't you see how that is? Wow, it's like couldn't Isaiah 53, Psalms 22. Like this stuff couldn't be any clearer. Why didn't they get it? Right? But, but like hindsight's 2020 and, 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 they, and we have such benefit. We should, we should treasure that. So the next event, as I mentioned, is the triumphal entry, at least in the account of Luke. And this is what he knows is coming and he's speaking to that. So here are some questions for us to ponder. How should we live knowing our king is coming? What are we doing to prepare for his return? I, I, I believe there is clear distinction here. And, and what I love about God, like in the garden, he, he told them, like, if you eat of the, the knowledge of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely. Like he tells us before, so we don't have any excuses. Like, guys, we've been warned. We know that what God has entrusted to us, and what, 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 what do you believe the 10 Midas might be? What do you, well, first of all, like, how many, how, many, how many servants? How many minus? So how many did each one get? Right. Like this isn't the parable of the talents. It's different. Right? There, there's something, and it, 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 if, you, if you study it, you figure it out, like, what have we all been given the same? The gift of the Holy Spirit, the treasure of God's word, right? The mission, one body, one faith, one baptism, one. We've all been given, right? And what are we doing to, for, 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 for the kingdom with what God gave you for that purpose? Because is there potential that we would take it and hide it or use it and squander it for other means, maybe for selfish purposes? Are we building our kingdom or his kingdom with the things that have been trusted into our hands? You know, th this is what Jesus is getting at here, but he's also trying to clarify that when I, I'm not coming back immediately, but when I do, this is what's going to transpire. And so what are you doing to prepare for his return? Another question does how we steward our time and resources matter? Big time. Big time. And does the way we steward our time and resources have a statement of faith? Does it, does it show what we believe? Big time. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Right? Clearly. I, I know that he's coming back. And he's told us what that, that moment is going to look like. And he's, he's told us that in the meanwhile, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a gift that's going to that's gonna not just help you as a helper and a counselor, but is going to empower you to faithfulness. Because don't forget, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, Self-control, like faithfulness, like we, we've been given the Holy Spirit just to, like we need help to be faithful, right? And so like that's, that's amazing. Are you investing in eternity? Like this, this, this is a question we got to ponder. Like I, 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 don't, I don't think there's anybody that can walk away from today and next week without making some pretty significant changes 
if you're going to be obedient to what is what's being declared here? Like, what are you investing in? Are you storing up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal? Because the truth is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to reside. But he says, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, right? You know, so, so the question has to be, what do you treasure? What's your treasure? And, and are you, and listen, when, when you really dig into this, he's not just talking about money. He's clearly talking about the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the Great Commission, but he's talking about our time and our talents and our resource, our lives. What are you giving your life for? I mean, are you truly kind of a uh, torn between two kingdoms, yours and his? Or are you set apart? Are you, we started this sermon with this. Is Jesus dedicated to you? The question is, are you dedicated to him? And does your life and the way that you spend every minute of it truly declare that? That's the questions we have to ponder here. So Jesus gets really raw, right? He says, he says, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself. That is so beautiful. If you understand, a kingdom and then return. So let, let's just, first of all, he's not king yet. If you, if you don't have a kingdom, you're not a, right? And, and that's clear in the rest of scripture that, you know, that we see in, in, in Philippians 2, like, you know, he made himself nothing, taking on the very form of servant, becoming made in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. But then God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then we see it over and over again. It's depicted clearly that he is then, you know, do, do not touch me. I have not ascended to my father. He's not made the atoning sin. Like all of these things help us to understand that he's going to the far off land to be, to be given a king. The, then everything will be put under his feet. And you know what the beauty is when we, when we fast forward down the line? You know what Jesus does at the end of the day when it's all said and done? It says he gives it back to the all in all. He gives it back to the Father as an offering back to his Father. This is what I did for you, Father. And you know what we do as saints when we're sanctified, glorified, and in that state? We take those crowns that we're given. By the way, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll hear of them as rewards. And you know what we do with those? We, we follow the example of heaven. We throw him at his feet because you know what we know for certain at that moment? If not for you, none of this happens. None of it. And so I challenge you to look at the things that you invest in eternity and the, and the, and the crowns that come as you are, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're developing an offering to the Lord. You're, 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 look, look, have you ever got to a party or got to an event and you're like, or given a gift to somebody and you're like, and when they open it, you're like, oh, I should have given them something like so much better because they mean so much more. I, or you've given a gift and, and no gift could be enough. That's probably a better illustration. Like we're going to get to heaven and we, we're going to want to throw it all at his feet and we're going to want to get on our face. I mean, I don't have to imagine, I'm going to get on my face right like and and i'm going to be and we're going to and that's what that should be the ideal motivation of why we serve so that we have we have more to offer in that in that day a greater gift to give to our king right like why do we why why does why does jesus give us the mita right we're going to get into more of these details next week but let's have the worship team come like we're going to i just wanted to kind of give a beautiful overview of this and context today and then we're going to dive into all the details but like so don't miss this next week come like we're going to we're going to dig in it's rich and the and the application is so profound so profound and i hope that you'll dig in even more this week as you get prepared for it but like why does why does jesus give us why did he give us gifts when he left before to get his to, to be given his kingdom for his return why did he give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which really, you know, like the word isn't really the treasure it is until we have the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I mean? Now it's, now we understand like, whoa, right? Like, like, but the gift is the Holy Spirit.
Why does Jesus give? He says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my father has for you. Right? And, um, and that gift that we're all baptized in the, by water and the spirit, by Jesus' authority and will and power, like that gift is meant to be used for the glory of God, for the increase of his majesty and his kingdom. And guys, you know, the title of this message and next week's, don't waste your life. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The the life that we've been given in Christ. You have been given life in Christ. Don't squander it. Don't waste it. You don't want to be in that moment where you, you're going to wish you just did more for Jesus, right? Just know that, that th- this, is an, th- this is an opportunity, this is a reminder at this stage in the game to go, you know what? Like, if I'm going to have passion for anything, it's going to be for him. If I'm going to give my life for any cause, any purpose, it's for him. I, I'm empowered for this purpose. And the very gift that he's given me actually is the power to see it through. Like, it says the minus has increased the mind. Like, like, we've been given a gift that will actually perpetuate the gifts, right? Like that, the, the result, the increase. All we have to do is steward that gift. And guys, we've got to be careful that we're not like using all the wonderful things that God has entrusted to us for us. Like it's, it, it's, it's meant for, for, for grander purpose, for eternal significance. Don't waste your life do, building your kingdom. It'll feel so hollow and y- there will be no power there for that. The power comes when, it, when, when, we, when we steward the gift of the Holy Spirit for the purposes of God. And, and you can't treasure your life and do that. Right? You've got to treasure him. He's got to be the pearl of great price. He's got to be the apple of our eye. He's got to be, we've got to have pure hearts. Blessed are the pure in heart. That means an undivided heart for him. Right? And then you know what the promise is there in the Beatitude? They will see God. See God. How good is that? Guys, let's stand. We're going to worship as we finish our time together. And I hope that all of this has stirred your heart. Uh, can't wait to kind of get into some more of the practical and applications of this next time. But please, please, like, let the, let the word of God find fertile soil in you. Let not the worries of this world, Father, I pray in this moment, let not the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth and the pursuit of pleasure choke out your good seed, but, but, but find that your seed this morning find fertile soil in us so that it might bring to fruition all the fruitful promises and, and purposes that you designed and desire for us. We love you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.